Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Since the fall of man, a war has raged between good and evil. Over the centuries, this war has distorted the truth. Now the truth is perceived as lies, and lies acknowledged as truth. To this day, the battle continues as we investigate and debate the truth behind the history and mystery of the universe. We are Paratruth Radio. More times than not, you hear about abductions, sightings, and interactions with the creatures known as fairies, Bigfoot, and extraterrestrials. But have you ever heard that there are food offerings in these interactions? Join us as we explore this part of the paranormal that no one has explored before. Now Paratooth presents a Trojan Feast with special guest... Joshua Cutchin. What's going on, Para fans? Welcome to another episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. I am flying solo tonight. Eric had some things going on with school, so uh, I am going to be doing the interview by myself tonight. We have a great show lined up for you. Uh, we're we're going to have on Josh Cutchin, uh, author of A Trojan Feast. Uh, without further ado... I am, I believe that we are ready and set, and I'm gonna to go to the line with my guest, Joshua Kutchen. Alright, Josh, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How are you tonight? I'm doing really well. It's a pleasure to be here. Alright, so, uh, for all of our listeners who, uh, haven't heard of you or heard of the book, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, about yourself? Okay, uh, well, I am a, uh, a classically trained tuba player of all things, but I've always had an interest in these sort of subjects. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of my interests have really circled around uh, the, the shared commonalities between different aspects of, of the unexplained. Um, so one of the areas that I've always found really fascinating is how a lot of uh, old fairy lore, Celtic fairy lore, uh, dovetails with a lot of what we would call modern extraterrestrial uh, mm-hmm. encounters. Uh, I don't know uh, how well-versed your audience is, but, uh, you know, uh, strange lights, the idea of abducting uh, children, uh, changelings, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, short, short beings, you know, with, with sort of, ex- with sort of uh, special powers. There are a lot of parallels there. Uh, Jacques Vallée in Passport to Magonia really outlined a lot of those quite well. But uh, I, I found a parallel, or rather I saw a parallel for a long time that no one really uh, addressed, and that was um, the propensity for fairy folk to give food. And uh, in <clears throat> Celtic folklore and a lot of world folklore, if you were to accept food from the fairy folk, you would be trapped in their realm forever. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, w- w- whatever that means specifically, right? And uh, I, I often saw a lot of uh, a lot of extraterrestrial contactee stories uh, where people are given foods to eat and they eat them. Obviously, they don't stay with them forever because we wouldn't have we wouldn't have uh, stories to tell there otherwise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
But uh, there was another little parallel there, so I I wondered if there was something to it, and I said, well, I don't know. Somebody will write about it eventually. Um, But I was reading a book, uh, J. Robert Alley's Raincoast Sasquatch, because I'm interested in all things unexplained. And I read that uh, to the uh, indigenous people of Alaska, they said that if you accepted food from the Bukwus, which was the uh, their version of the Sasquatch, uh, you would be trapped with the Bukwus, the woodmen, forever and have to remain uh, in, in their care. So that was my, my my light bulb moment. That was the moment when I said, you know what, that's that's a little bit weird because you have you know this Celtic lore from across the Atlantic saying the exact same thing about fairies that indigenous people from North America were saying about Sasquatch. Right. So uh, like I said, that was that was my light bulb moment and I realized that if if no one else was going to write this then I guess I should. <laughs> Which is, you know, associating yourself with these subjects is always a big leap of faith. Right. Yeah. Absolutely and uh I mean you never know the uh the reception you'll get. I mean it's it's one of those things that uh actually has not really been talked about much because this is the first I've actually heard about the different like Sasquatch offering you food. I've heard of like the fairy, the fairy folklore, but uh, the, the abductees having that same thing happen as well. I've, I've never heard that before. Um, So other than just the stories, have you found any other links that kind of link those different things together yeah well, well that that to me is, in a lot of ways is is sort of what you have to do whenever you're interested in these subjects is you find a little loose thread and you have to sort of tug on it <laughs> and, see, right. and see where that leads you right. um so uh th- there was one uh, particular case that i found really compelling which is a gentleman from russia mm-hmm. who in september of 1990 claimed to have been taken aboard a craft uh by this tall uh, entity with gray skin, and they showed him a life review, which is another one of those things that you find across both extraterrestrial and uh, oh. and paranormal encounters. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, he actually uh, was taken to their homeworld, which is kind of kind of a goofy fact. Uh, that happens a lot more in like contactee lore from the 1950s and such than it does in modern than modern right. era. But according to this gentleman, he uh, he was marveling at their diet of of, uh, of of milk and vegetables, and he asked to try some, and they said, "No, you can't try it because you, it, it, our food will influence you, and you'll have to stay with us on our world." So they warned him about mankind being destructive, and they dropped him back off in Russia. So. Uh, <clears throat> That's that's uh, that's probably the most explicit version of how this food taboo, as I came to call it, uh, really dovetailed with uh, the extraterrestrial lore. But it's interesting to see, you know, other ways uh, that that the, the, these sort of foods tend to tend to combine. Um, a lot of what uh, both fairies and aliens would give people are liquids. Okay. Um, grains are another common thing. Fruit are another common thing. So really what it was was sort of like peeling back an onion, peeling back these different layers of, of, uh, of, of meaning. You know, that, is there symbolism in that? Right. Uh, what could, what could it possibly mean? They're just trying, trying to see how rich and how, how deep the rabbit hole goes, as mm-hmm. it were. <clears throat> um, you know, the further along you get in the, in the survey, it becomes clearer and clearer that Sasquatch is doing something else. Uh, <laughs> whatever that may be, you know, and, and, and that's, and that's, that's something that I try to really be, um, be strong about. Uh, one of my, one of my heroes in the field, Greg Bishop is, is, uh, known for being, 
uh, a staunch agnostic <laughs> on things. He really <laughs> takes in everything. Doesn't really have. He has some. He has some suspicions, but no no real opinions about right. certain things. Um, so you know, nuts and bolts ET. I don't know. Maybe um, you know, uh, spiritual ET. I don't know. Maybe spiritual Sasquatch. Maybe flesh and blood Sasquatch. Maybe. Um, what what I what I do know. What I do feel confident in saying is that uh, the Venn diagrams touch. On all these subjects. Right. So if it's one thing with a lot of faces, maybe. Maybe it's different things using similar means to achieve their goals. But uh, I decided to take a look at this because it's astounding the number of people who, in encounters with aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch, uh, tend to be offered something to eat or drink. Um, and that was a moment that gave me pause as well because these are relatively, generally speaking, short encounters. Even if you've got something like a long abduction that supposedly takes place over uh, four hours or something, um, they didn't have to be given something to eat or drink for sustenance. They're not going to die in the, over the course right. of those four hours. So it really implies that there's some sort of ulterior motive to all this at work. Um, you know, if you if you run into a fairy folk in, in ancient England, you know, you're walking along the road at night and all of a sudden it offers you buttermilk. What does that mean? Why is that... A thing, right? So, so, uh, and and that's that's where a lot of my fascination comes from, is because, you know, even today when people ask me about my book, who aren't who aren't super involved, well, even people who are super involved in these subjects, there's no real elevator pitch for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah. There's no way of getting people to understand quickly why it's important. You have to sort of say, well, in the Celtic cultic folklore, this happens, and there are these similarities here, and you have to sort of, you know, build out a little 10-minute template for why this is something that's worth looking at. But um, moving forward in these sort of subjects, I hope that... This is sort of my template, is that I'm going to take the little things that no one's looking at and seeing if maybe there's some sort of richer meaning that's being hidden. Right. Well, and, I mean, there's a lot of folklore that uh, intertwines with, with other folklore. I mean, there's been numerous uh, religions, even, that will... Like, like Eric and I had had uh, a conversation uh, on a show a couple weeks ago that, uh, you know, like Christianity, for example, had, um, not so much adopted folklore from another, another, uh, religion after it, it kind of conquered and took over, but it absorbed some of, of like Celtic folklore or pagan folklore. Um, but if you look back at, uh, Greek Roman mythology, the, the Romans took in the Greeks' religious beliefs after they conquered the Greeks. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to see the similarities because there's also been, um, reports of both Sasquatch sightings and UFO sightings in the same area. Some have even said not necessarily fairies, but floating lights or orbs Mm -hmm. as the paranormal community would call them nowadays. Uh, all manifesting in the same area. Um, so going from that, like um, in, in all of the research that you did, did you ever find that any of these people were seeing the multiple or just one or the other? You know, by and large, uh, these, these cases tend to be on their own in this particular aspect. I do definitely know what you're saying about... <clears throat> 
you know, you, you sort of use Christ, we're talking about Christianity there being syncretic and sort of uh, uh, putting different bits of culture onto itself. Sometimes I wonder if the paranormal isn't doing that some too. You know, right. well, it's, it's the UFO phenomenon. Let's grab a Sasquatch and put it over here. Um, <laughs> we need an anomalous black cat. That'll really sell it. Um, in, in, in the cases that I found for this particular book, that didn't happen a lot. But that is a subject that I find fascinating. And in my next work uh, that I just, I just, uh, I just found out that my publisher got the contract today, so it's actually moving forward. Um, my next book should be out this fall, and it's talking about smells in the paranormal. Okay. And uh, and that's definitely one. Of, I have multiple cases in there where UFOs are seen with Bigfoot, and, and large black cats are seen with Bigfoot, and and uh, you know. Although I will say that in this book, you know, sometimes you'll read something and. Is it a fairy or is it a UFO? You know, how, how are you going to categorize it? Right. Which is why if one of my suspicions, like I mentioned before having suspicions, one of my suspicions is that, um, whatever, whatever we're seeing has a lot to do with our current cultural context. It has a lot to do with, uh, with, with how our brains interpret what we're, what we're seeing. I think right. that, well, for example, you know, um, in a lot of abduction encounters, uh, there are pills that are mm-hmm. given. You don't see pills in fairy encounters, but you do see wafers. You do see crackers, things of that like. So if I were, you know, in the year 1099 and I encountered the Banshee on the road up to the lock and she gave me a little white square or white circle, I might say, oh, it's a wafer when actually maybe it was a pill. So, and, and of course, you know, on the flip side, if we're being taken into a spaceship, something that we perceive as being a spaceship, which a lot of times is just a big white room that might as well right. be heaven. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we see this gray alien give us something. We're not going to say, oh, he's giving me a communion wafer. You know, <laughs> we're yeah. going to say he's giving me a pill or, or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's one of the reasons that I, I, I really didn't embrace, uh, hard numbers when doing this survey. This was the first survey of the food from the other to, to witnesses, but I didn't get into numbers specifically because you do run up with, run into these questionable problematic issues. Um, there was one tale from the Ukraine where this woman claimed that she had encountered three aliens on her doorstep who gave her a pill that she dropped into her water and it changed the water all sorts of different colors. Do you categorize that as water? Do you categorize it as a pill or do you categorize it as like an alien liquid? You know, so that that's one of the reasons why it's sort of gotten got, you know, even twistedier and twistedier <laughs> and right. then you've got to ask yourself, well, what about uh, what about injections in the modern, you know, abduction pageantry? Right. Uh and what what about, you know, ointments rubbed on the skin, which Interestingly enough, there's a lot of fairy ointment tales that are out there too that have the sort of parallel for that. Um, so yeah, that was sort of a sort of a research problem as as the book unfolded. But uh, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of ambiguity in that. One of my uh, one of my friends said that he loved reading it because you would get like halfway through a story and not know whether it was going to be a fairy or <laughs> or you or you know an alien. Um, and Sasquatch is in there too. Like I said, just it just becomes clear the, the further along you go through it that. Sasquatch is sort of doing his own thing. Uh, if if I were to take the evidence just in this book alone, I would be inclined to say that Sasquatch is a flesh and blood thing. Not quite my personal feelings, but if I were to look at this evidence, it definitely seems to point to that. It usually looks like Sasquatch is stealing something. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, whenever, whenever administering offerings to people. Okay. So I, I have to ask this question because you had brought up your new book. We're talking about food we're talking about smells in the paranormal uh and 
you you had been doing this research, but what got you started into doing these other aspects? I guess is the the uh, big question I'm I'm trying to get to. Um, because we don't need another book on Roswell. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my own personal feeling. You know, I feel like we have these classic cases that are done to death. Um, at the same time. And I'll be very forthcoming with this. I don't know that I necessarily have it in myself to be a, a boots on the ground researcher, um, both in terms of time and in terms of, you know, uh, expendable capital and even in terms of disposition, because sometimes I talk to people and, and I, I <laughs> if I were to read their story, I'd have no problems with it. But talking to them, I get a little bit squirrely about it. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So uh, so so what what do I have to offer? Well, it's it's sort of like a literature review looking over and seeing what things people haven't addressed or things that they've addressed but they haven't really bothered to try to see if it fits into a bigger picture i mean for example i had mentioned passport to magonia earlier mm. and uh and jacques valet in there talks about the the whole fairy giving food sort of thing but it's only part of a chapter so you know really trying to look at this through a, through a broader perspective to see if there's something else in there. So that's that's sort of the direction that the smells book is going because everybody always says, "Oh, there's a smell of sulfur." Whenever I see this, that, or the other, right? It's one of the most one of the one of the most common outliers to all these phenomena, and people have sort of addressed it, but they've all addressed it in their own little camps, you know. So you have the ufologist going, "Well, I think it means that it's exhaust from the UFOs," <laughs> and you have you know <laughs> you have the, the spiritualist saying, "Well, the smell of sulfur means it's the devil," and then you have the Bigfoot people saying, "Well, it means that Bigfoot's farting." And, you know, <laughs> and to me, that's just a little bit, you know, all of these, all of these phenomena that are sitting at the little kids table, as it were, <laughs> all have this in common. And no one's really tried to, to you know, peel that apart and really take a look and see if there's any anything connective there or if there could be anything connective there. So right. that's 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 why that's why I'm really focusing on this. Having said that, I don't know what I'm going to do after smells. I just <laughs> I've got some ideas, but of course, you know, smells had a lot more a lot more to uh, to to offer than I than I originally thought. So maybe there's something else that I haven't considered. Right. Well, and it's interesting too because um, not to get too much into the smells book because I do want to get you on uh, back on for that once that's out. But uh, you always get the people that are saying that they smell like cigarette smoke or cigar smoke when they're doing a paranormal investigation and that sort of thing. So it's actually really interesting that you concentrated on stuff other than the norm or the the uh, the mainstream on on the paranormal topics um, and the folklore as well. Um, before we get any further into it, though, um, I'm going to take us to our first break. Folks, you're listening to Paratruth Radio right here on the Paratruth Radio Network. Uh, we will be right back after Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Now, Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Have you ever felt as though you're constantly receiving physical injuries? It may seem to some of us that we just can't avoid situations in which we get hurt. Stubbing a toe, bumping your head, pinching your finger. Even the occasional scrape, bruise, or laceration. If you feel that you're an individual who often ends up with a physical injury, well, you're probably not wrong and certainly not alone. The reason being is that according to Factslides.com, a recent study performed in the UK determined that the average person gets 
672 minor injuries in a lifetime. Now that's what I call a pain in the back. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, folks. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin, and I've been talking to Josh Cushion about his book, A Trojan Feast. Uh, now, Josh, we have been kind of skirting around this, the, just this fact that all of these things interconnect with, between the fairies, the Sasquatch and the, the alien abduct, abductee lore. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that all of these things have that particular thing in common of, uh, being offered food or drink. Um, as I said at the beginning, I've, I've never heard any of the, Excuse me, the lore between, uh, Sasquatch and alien abductees having, having this in common. Um, so in your opinion, like, are all of these folklores just, as you're saying, uh, is, is there just metaphor behind all of this? Uh, are they being offered physical things or, um, it, are all of these things one in the same creature kind of being more of a, a shapeshifter, so to speak, and and doing something more than just offering food and, and taking people away? Um yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. And um I, I I well so so to sort of give a little bit of background, um a lot of Anthropologists will say that this concept of the food taboo—that to go somewhere and eat with a people mm. and to be trapped there—is uh, derivative of the myth of Persephone, who in uh, in Greek uh, Greek legend uh, was the daughter of Demeter, the goddess of grain, and she was actually abducted to the underworld by Hades. Mm. And her mother was distraught; she blighted the harvest and, and cursed the fertility of, of the world. And Hermes actually was sent by Zeus to rec- to rescue Persephone. And she was almost out of Hades when she consumed a pomegranate seed that Hades had given her. And the act of that actually imprisoned her in the underworld for eternity. Um, <clears throat> a lot of 
anthropologists will point to this as the genesis for this idea. And, and certainly enough, I mean, a lot of a lot of Eurasian folk literature um, has this as a common motif. You'll find this uh, even all the way as far, you know, as far west from from Greece as Japan. The goddess Izanami was actually given food when she was in hell and was forced to stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find it in Finnish literature, where where one of the heroes in one of the uh, epics was given a tankard of ale. Uh, that he was to drink, but he didn't drink it, even though you know it would give him immortality. He knew it would make him stay there. But I think that argument falls apart when you consider that in uh, Maori tradition, uh, it's claimed that you can go visit your dead lover uh, as long as you don't partake of their feast. Um, I think you know. I think it further falls apart when you look at uh, in uh, the Amazon basin. Some shamans say that if you go to the land of the dead, you should only have a mouthful of their black corn beer that the dead will offer you, because if you finish the whole thing, you'll be stuck there forever. I think it falls apart when you have Cherokee, um, Simshun, Tlingit, all these different uh, Native American cultures that have similar food taboos. Um, which is funny because, you know, on the one hand, the anthropologists are going, diffusionism is not a thing. The cultures, you know, there was the Atlantic cult- cultures on the one side of the Atlantic and cultures on the other side of the Atlantic, and they never mingled. Um, yeah. But at the same time, that they're saying that's where all this comes from. So it's either right. one or the other. I'm as, I'm as big a fan of diffusion as anybody, but the idea t- to me that to, 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 to draw the parallel that the bi- eating food from Bigfoot traps you with Bigfoot somehow evolved from Persephone eating a pomegranate seed in Hades just seems like a little bit too far of a bridge for me to cross. Right. Um, having said that, what does this mean to stay with them forever? Uh, obviously, you know, you, you, you have, you do have a lot of tales of people in the Celtic Isles going into a fairy banquet and you know the fairy were often closely associated with the dead so they'll go and they'll stumble into a fairy banquet on their way home and they'll see a dead friend or relative who says don't eat or drink here that's why I'm stuck here so you know they'll someone will you discreetly pour it off to the, off to the side um but you'll also find tales uh such as the elamades of Denmark who wait by the side of the road and offer people wine. And once they drink the wine, they're driven insane to the point that sometimes they even uh, commit suicide because they want to return to uh, be with these beautiful elvish maids. Um, so to me, that sort of opens up an entire new uh, avenue of inquiry. Does it mean that you won't be able to return home in the literal sense, or does it mean that you won't be able to return home in the figurative sense, that you'll be constantly changed forever? You know, in the case of modern abductions uh, by supposed aliens, does it mean that you will never be able to return to your old life again, or that you'll be, you know, uh, possibly a lifelong abductee? Um, again, I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it all means that this is all the same thing. Perhaps there is some sort of mechanism at play that the three separate phenomena find really useful in the offering of food. Um, but what I do feel relatively comfortable saying is that my research has led me to believe that it's not always literal food being offered. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's this part, part of the idea behind a Trojan feast is that this possibly is a means of gaining access to one's consciousness. Um, and there is, there's sort of a, it, it's tied in with the concept of entheogens. I don't know if you've ever talked about entheogens like ayahuasca on the show before. I don't think so. Or, okay. So, uh, in the Amazon River basin, uh, there are <laughs> hundreds of thousands of plants and somehow the indigenous people found the one plant that has 
a highly active uh, hallucinogen produced in the body, dimethyltryptamine. Okay. And they found the other plant that makes it orally active. So dimethyltryptamine is produced in the brain in minute amounts. We're all technically carrying hallucinogenic drugs in our system. Um, it's very concentrated in the Benisteriopsis copy vine of South America. However, if you were to just eat the vine, you wouldn't feel any effects because of monoamine, uh, monoamine, uh, MAO inhibitors, monoamine oxidase inhibitors okay. that actually sort of shut off, shut it off and make it orally non-active. But if you boil it with this other plant, the natives found that that can actually give you an intense, intense uh, hallucinogenic experience. And the shamans use this to find and navigate their way through the spiritual world. Um, it's interesting that people who have these experiences on ayahuasca sometimes report encountering Entities that look like gray aliens, entities that look like fairies, and sometimes they will offer them food in these encounters as well. Um, but it's interesting also that in almost every one of these tribes' lore, this is a gift from the gods to the people. So in some sense, this is sort of an example of this entity food that we can actually study and, and, and try to find a working model of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I try to draw some parallels between between that and these offerings that people supposedly get as possibly being a, a means to facilitate some sort of uh, some sort of consciousness uh, change or some sort of entry entryway into getting consciousness. Now, to be very clear, I don't think that aliens are running around giving people hallucinogenics because right. if you see if you see a strange being on hallucinogens. How does it approach you in the first place to offer you <laughs> a hallucination? Right. Um, but I think there's a compel- I think there's a compelling there's a compelling link there. And as far as anyone who really wants to just sort of write off the uh, psychedelic experience as just being, uh, you know, just a bunch of guys tripping, there are some there's some interesting things that I would urge them to consider. Um, a lot of times when people uh, take psychedelics, in particular ayahuasca, they'll experience a strange buzzing uh, that you often find in abduction reports. They will see entities that look pretty much like gray aliens, often short in stature, like the fairy folk. Um, but it's another common shamanic motif under entheogens like ayahuasca to be taken apart and made better, put back together again. Sometimes uh, some sort of crystal or something will be inserted into the body, which has a lot of uh, reflections in modern alien implant stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with ayahuasca in particular, it's extremely uh, fascinating to a lot of people because there are plenty of anecdotes, and granted they are still anecdotes, but plenty of anecdotal evidence of people actually obtaining knowledge that they should otherwise not have uh, when under the influence of ayahuasca. There's a famous, um, <clears throat> there's a famous uh, encounter by, I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name, uh, he was an anthropologist who actually visited uh, in the in the Amazon, he was visiting a tribe, and he actually took, uh, he was Kenneth Kinziger, that was his name. Okay. And he actually, uh, was informed by six ayahuasca drinkers who had participated in a ceremony that his maternal grandmother had died. And he found that out by radio two days later. So there are these interesting little, <laughs> interesting little parallels of perhaps somebody tapping into something bigger. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, it's interesting that uh, even though that people have no frame of reference for what ayahuasca is, sometimes when people take it, they will always see the similar imagery. They'll always see snakes. They'll always see these little people. Um, so that's sort of something, again, like a little little uh, thread that you can tug on to see if perhaps there's something worth looking into there. And I think that, that it's, a, it's a powerful parallel, perhaps, for what people are receiving uh, from these other entities. Okay. So, 
as as I told you in the emails uh, when we were getting you on the show that uh, Eric does come from the a more Christian perspective, where I come from more of a mainstream perspective. Um, do you think that uh, maybe that uh, this is some type of demonic influence, or uh, I guess? Maybe not demonic, but evil entity. Because when I think of demons, I think of basically leeches or parasites of, of the spirit realm, if you will. Um, do you think it's more more spiritual than it is a, a physical thing going on? Or if you really have to pin me down, um, <laughs> I, I, I think part of it, um, and, and, and I, I, I am a Christian as well. I try to, um, I've had a lot of people ask me how I can reconcile the two and, uh, between being interested in subjects like this and being a Christian as well. And my retort is always that as Christians, we're told that God works in mysterious ways, except with mysterious things. And then it's either God or the, or the devil, you know, right. Um, my, my perfect, my, my, Personal cosmology has a lot of room for things in between. Um, I am inclined to believe with a lot of these things. Uh, for example, people are paralyzed when they see aliens, fairy, Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. People see these things blink in and out of existence. People report intense fear and dread. Um, I'm inclined to believe that there is a non-physical component to these things. And interestingly enough, you'll have nuts and bolts ufologists tell you that, uh, that, oh, well, these alien beings can, these alien beings can communicate with you telepathically. Well, that's when I throw up my hands and say, look, you're, you're, you've already thrown out the materialism, uh, concept. You've already thrown out materialism as a paradigm when you start introduce that subject. Right. So why are we so married to this concept of little green scientists coming down in their nuts and bolts space? <laughs> Um, you know, if, if we're going to say that telepathy is on the table, then everything else is off the table because it can literally be anything. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I'm inclined to believe that there is some sort of non-physical component to this. Now, whether that, again, whether that means some sort of advanced life form that is able to, uh, utilize or has evolved into a more metaphysical realm. That 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 might well be the case, but uh, you know, I, I think that's 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 worth considering. Also, you know, it's interesting. Um, a lot of practitioners of magic, uh, modern practitioner, practitioners of, of magic, who like a, a lot of them base their uh, ideas of off of Aleister uh, Crowley's ideas, which I'm not a big Crowley fan. Um, he was, from, from what I can tell, he was a pretty awful person. Mm-hmm. But his particular idea was that everything is magic in the sense that uh, me talking to you right now is in some form magic. Me picking up a pencil is in some form magic. So if you expand that conceptually as sort of a thought experiment, then perhaps these entities are entities of spirit. You know, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's coincidental that people report gray aliens disappearing when you shout the name of Jesus. Right. Um, right. You know, uh, at the same time, you know, I'm sure there, there are other encounters where that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, 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 for me personally, the jury's still out on exactly what the nature of this is. I will say that there is some sort of, uh, there's some sort of consciousness space aspect to this. Um, you know, I had mentioned earlier in the in the uh, the alien encounter from Russia, he was given a life review. That doesn't sound like little green scientists doing mm-hmm. something. Right. It sounds like there is some sort of greater 
greater narrative at play. That almost sounded sounds more like a a person who's having a near death experience compared to yeah. an abduction. And of course, of course, you know the retort would be, well, the, he just misidentified those aliens as angels. But I, I have to sit back and go, why are we putting these in boxes? You know, right. maybe, 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 maybe it's one and the same. You know, maybe, maybe it's different. Maybe it's one and the same. Maybe there's only one and not the other. I don't know, right. but I don't feel comfortable. I mean, and again, everyone is welcome to reconcile things like that as they wish. I, again, adhering to my staunch agnosticism about all these things, I, I, I just don't know. Right. Well, and. Both Eric and myself b- truly believe that the abduction aspect of of the UFOs and uh, extraterrestrials is it has to be more spiritual than than extraterrestrials coming here. Like, what would be the point of taking these people and experimenting on them, uh, other than some type of devious uh, plot to to figure out, uh, you know? send us back out and take over the world using the people that, that they have abducted or something like that. Um, same thing for Bigfoot. Both Eric and I are very skeptical about the Bigfoot. Um, two reasons being, one, it is easily uh, hoaxed. And the second one being that, just like all this other stuff, we haven't found a body. Uh Granted, you know, we, we say that, you know, we do believe in Loch Ness, but we don't believe in Bigfoot. How can you do that? It's just, with, with the Bigfoot, uh, you know, they live on land, they live in the forest. You would think by now somebody would have come across one, caught it, killed it, something, and brought it to, uh, you know, you know, the mainstream, uh, light of things. Um, and there's been a lot of times where these pictures are very hazy, almost like they're they're shifting in and out of our our perception of existence. So that's kind of and uh, a good friend of uh, mine, J- Justin Fall, had brought up too that maybe there are both. Maybe there are physical Bigfoot that are maybe more like. Um, hybrid creatures of, of humanity and animal. And then there are the ones that are shifting because, you know, you can't get a clear picture of it. Um, yeah. So in all of the research that you did about the, the offerings of food and, and drink, um, did any, did anybody like bring to light to you why, these, these things offer these things or, you know, where that lore really came from other than the, you know, the, the pomegranate seed from Greek mythology right. coming here. Yeah. Well, it's, um, huh, well, um, you know, you, it, it all depends on the worldview and, and a lot of people who even are a lot of people who even are experiencers, uh, often will cling to this this extraterrestrial hypothesis idea. Mm. Um, again, I'm not saying that nothing is going on. I very much think that some sort of outside intelligence is interacting with mankind. I just don't necessarily think they come from Zebel Ganubi. Um, 
<laughs> but uh but you know you'll have people who are given it and they're they're often assume that it's like some sort of medical again modern in the modern age it's all about medical pageantry you know back in the 50s the contactees were all about learning about peace and about sort of honestly sort of being shown a communist utopia on another world um and there's some there's some individuals out there who ascribe a purely political agenda to the contact mm-hmm. of the 50s. Um, but nowadays, anybody who's taken by an alien expects to have you know horrible experiments done to them, mm-hmm. um, and so they assume that what they're being given is for some sort of medical reason. The thing that you run into the most, and probably the most fascinating thing, is that the foods and drinks that people are given tend to bookend the experience. They either come at the very beginning or at the very end. Um, a lot of times they're being given at the very end, which is curious because. You know, it's sort of the exact opposite of the food taboo. Here's a drink, go on your way. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to somehow facilitate the encounter. It's almost like a power button, okay. from what I, from what I can tell. Um, it seems to be that way. Again, I, I, <laughs> I make no claims that I have any answers. That's for sure. Um, but also, what's interesting is a lot of people report that this is part of uh, a uh, an amnesia. Uh, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, experience. It's, it's given actually to prevent them from remembering. Oh. Which has a lot of creepy, has a lot of creepy date rape baggage right. on it. <laughs> um, right. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Whitley Strieber, the author of Communion, who is, uh, probably, if there is the world's most famous abductee, it's probably him and Travis Walton and maybe, uh, Villa Boaz from, from Brazil. But, uh, uh, Whitley Strieber, uh, claimed that, uh, a lot of times these drinks uh, were reminiscent of the uh, drink of Nepenthe, which was in Greek uh, legend, Greek mythology, was the drink that you were given before returning back to, to uh, your returning back to Earth in a new body after reincarnation. You pass over to the other side so that you forget your old life. You're given this drink. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, that was administered uh, by uh, one of the fates who were sort of tied in with with fey folklore as well. Um, but there definitely is there definitely is a trend of of giving people something to sort of give uh, sort, sort again as this idea of, of of consciousness sort of being locked in somehow either to put them in a sense of stasis or to make them forget mm-hmm. um, what forget what they experienced. Um, yeah, it's um, the 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 the, the Motives are still murky to me after after doing all this, but it definitely seems that it's to facilitate some sort of uh, some sort of change in the witness, and I think that personally, it's tied up somehow with consciousness. Okay. So you you were saying earlier that uh, Sasquatch kind of separates from the other lore. Uh, how how does the Sasquatch offerings offer, uh, differ from the others? Well, uh, with um, you know, if if I were to do a breakdown of the most c- common foods in all three of these categories, um, looking at aliens and fairies, I can make some very solid claims. But you throw a Sasquatch in there, and the data set goes all crazy. Okay. Um, for the most part, uh, aliens and fairies tend to offer liquids, fruits, vegetables. This is in descending order for most of these: liquids, fruits, vegetables, um, grains, and then everything else. Okay. Which to me argues very strongly against it being a purely psychological phenomena because I would think that in the West people would be like, they gave me meat and candy. Right. <laughs> or, or McDonald's or whatever, yeah. right. Exactly. But you don't find that at all. Sasquatch, on the other hand, he's 
supposedly an ape, he'll, he tends to give meat and stolen bread, uh, doesn't really tend to give a lot of liquids. So okay. that's what sort of emerges as we went on. So I sort of, I sort of end up peering down. I sort of, uh, kindly ask Sasquatch to take the exit door <laughs> towards the, towards the end of the book a little bit. Um, where, uh, I, I can, I, where I can have, have this data in some way that I can, I can sort of massage it and look at. And the fascinating thing for me was that if you look at these orders of liquids, so the most common liquids are often compared to, uh, juices or milk. Um, you know, you tend to look at the contactee experience as being positive, voluntary, and pleasant, and the, uh, the abductee experience as being negative, involuntary, and unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And the flavor profiles tend to match that. Um, contactees are given a juice that's the sweetest thing that they've ever had, and abductees are given either something that's incredibly bitter or cloyingly sweet. Um, you know, uh, still unpleasant, but on the other end of the flavor profile. Right. Um, so, of these different uh, subcategories, you've got juices and milks are often compared in abductee, and you know, milk is uh, obliquely referenced in abductee lore. Uh, it's explicitly referenced a lot in fairy lore. Um, fruits, vegetables, breads, etc. And what's interesting, what I found fascinating is that these correspond to a lacto-vegetarian diet, but even beyond that they tend to correspond to a specific lacto-vegetarian diet. Mm-hmm. The sattvic diet in Ayurvedic philosophy. Ayurveda is the uh, the Indian art of basically food medicine or medicine. Okay. And uh, the sattvic diet is the diet that's uh, supposedly the diet that gives you the best physical and mental and spiritual health all around. Um, and there are certain foods that you should avoid. Now, it's not, I mean, there are a lot of lacto-vegetarian diets. What's interesting is that if you look at the emphasis placed on the different foods in this particular uh, dietary structure, it's the it's juices are the most. Well, juice is the most common uh, beverage in alien and fairy lore. Mm-hmm. Again, if you want to expand the concept of juice to wines in fairy lore, I mean, conceptually, that's not a far stretch. Right. And that's another common one as well. Juices are the most sattvic food. Milk is the next most sattvic food. Um, you know, fruits and vegetables are the next most sattvic foods. Bread and the types of bread that are offered. Uh, bread from barley is often one of the most sattvic breads. Well, that's the most common fairy bread. So are we dealing with Hindu fairies and Hindu aliens? I don't necessarily think so. It's an interesting connection, though, when you consider that the sattvic diet is the diet preferred in Hindu philosophy by people who claim to be clairvoyants and mystics. Hmm. Um, people who have, uh, you know, psi experiences. Right. And again, a lot of people, a lot of people who are on the nuts and bolts side of things don't want to admit this, but, uh, a lot of abductees have psi experiences. Betty Hill, of the famous Betty and Barney Hill uh, abduction, uh, claimed throughout her life to have predicted the deaths of people in cars. Uh, there was another couple from England, uh, the, the Avises, who were abducted, and once they returned, they got rid of all meat, all artificial sweeteners, all artificial flavors, artificial colorings, alcohol, all this stuff. So, yeah, you see this 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 concept of, of there being some sort of almost new-agey um, dietary influence sort of mm-hmm. creeping in on the margins of these experiences. Um, similarly, in fairy folklore, people would go to fairyland and they would emerge and they wouldn't crumble until they ate. They wouldn't crumble into dust because it's a big motif in fairyland is that uh, if you went in for, you could go in for what felt like a year and it would have been a day or vice versa. <laughs> you could go in for what felt like a day and it was a year, which is mirrored in missing time that abductees have. They feel right. like 45 minutes of task and they're missing eight hours. But Whenever people would emerge from fairyland, 
they would sit down. They would they would be fine until they'd sit down to eat dinner. After the first bite of what they were eating, they crumble into dust. So hmm. it seems interesting that there's this little uh, this little uh, spiritual component that keeps on creeping in. Now, right. if anybody thinks that I have um, I have a uh, an Eastern uh, Eastern philosophy agenda, I really don't. This is the, this is the most in depth into Eastern philosophy <laughs> that I've ever been. And uh, I just had I just had uh, schnitzel for dinner, so <laughs> I'm definitely not <laughs> leading a satvic diet. <laughs> well, that's one thing that actually is is kind of interesting. Um, and the diets in general, and a, a lot of people kind of differ as far as what Bigfoot supposedly eats as well. Um, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, they hunt small animals and, and eat whatever they, they can get. Um, other people say they're specifically, uh, vegan sort of just, uh, plants, uh, plant-based diet. So, um, it's, it's interesting that, uh, that kind of actually differs between the fairy and UFO aspect, and then the the Bigfoot aspect of it. Um, right, and you know you, you'll you'll find you'll find them you'll find a lot of contactees. I think um, was it uh, yeah, was uh, Orfeo Angelucci was a famous contactee from the fifties who claimed to have had a you know some a stake on Alpha Centauri, and you'll find that, but uh, it's 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 extremely rare. Uh, a lot, most of the time, whenever, uh, whenever abductees and contactees talk to their, uh, hosts about food, they'll often be, be told, oh, we live on a diet of plant and milk, it's enlightening, stuff like that, which, again, so it sort of supports that concept. Mm-hmm. As far as Bigfoot goes, um, <laughs> that's the other thing that I always have to explain to people about this book, because they're like, oh, so it's about what Bigfoot eats and about what aliens eat. No, no, you sort of have to talk about that, but that's not, <laughs> that's not the focus, you know. It's, it's about the act of giving. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've heard some people be like, some people talk about Bigfoot eating people, which I, I really honestly am not sure, uh, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, obviously I feel like it's bad if, it, right. if it's happening, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. I think, uh, we're going to go to our next break here. Uh, I- I've been talking to, uh, Josh Cushion about his book, A Trojan Feast, uh, We will be right back with Paratruth Radio right after your paranormal headlines. And now, Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headlines. How's it going, Parafans? Justin here with your paranormal headlines. And these headlines are from unexplainedmysteries.com and alterdimensions.net. Legendary Popelik Monster Claims Yet Another Victim in Kentucky The Popelik Monster, a part man, part goat, and part sheep creature, rumored to lure victims onto the Norfolk Southern Railway Bridge over Floyd's Fork Creek, a.k.a. Popelik Creek, in the Fisherville area of Louisville, Kentucky, has claimed yet another victim this week. 26-year-old surgical assistant Raquel Bain died on the infamous railway trestle on Saturday, April 23, 2016, after being unable to escape an oncoming train. The most prominent public monster legend says that the creature uses some sort of mind control or voice mimicry to lure victims onto the train trestle to meet their death. Another legend 
says the sight of the creature, which appears as a human-animal hybrid with the horribly deformed body of a man, goat-like legs, and a pure white porcelain-like face, stuns bridge trespassers and thus forces them to freeze in place or dive off the bridge to their deaths. The origin of the legend is unclear, and locals provide varying accounts One story says the creature was a circus freak who escaped to take revenge on others for his mistreatment. A variant of the story says the miscreant escaped a derailed train in the area. Another version says the monster is the reincarnated form of a devil-worshipping farmer who sacrificed goats in a deal with the devil for supernatural demonic powers. After several inexplicable deaths on the bridge, authorities placed an eight-foot-high fence around the trestle to keep people off of the tracks, but deadly accidents on the bridge continue, this Saturday's incident being the latest. Bain and her boyfriend arrived in Louisville from Dayton, Ohio, for a haunted tour of the shuttered Waverly Hills Sanitarium and made a side trip to the legendary location of the Popelick Monster. Raquel Bain ventured onto the railway with her boyfriend, The boyfriend told authorities they were only about 40 feet from safety, but did not hear the train approaching until it was too late. The train engineer told officials his speed was 32 miles per hour at the time of the accident. He noted that he saw the couple, sounded the horn, and tried to brake. Bain's boyfriend cheated death by dangling from the edge of the tracks until the train passed. Bain, however, was struck by the train and plummeted eight stories to the ground. She was pronounced dead on the scene at 7.30 p.m. Space Umbrella Could Stop Global Warming Scientists have been exploring ambitious new ways to effectively cool rather than to warm up the planet. Global warming might seem like an unstoppable, irreversible process that can only be slowed down through a concerted global effort to cut carbon emissions and to stop polluting the atmosphere. But what if there was a way that we could actively put global warming in full reverse? For years, scientists have been mulling over several geoengineering solutions to climate change, each designed to reverse the damage we are doing to the planet using modern technologies. Some of these, such as pumping chemicals into the atmosphere or exploding an enormous bomb to move the Earth further from the sun, can be pretty much discounted out of hand. One idea, however, does have merit. That of a gigantic umbrella that could be deployed in space to block the sun over parts of the planet and slowly bring down global temperatures. First devised by engineer James Early in 1989, the first version of this orbiting parasol was to be constructed from glass and built on the moon. While more recent suggestions have included an umbrella made from either a cloud of moon dust or a large array of 55,000 wire mesh mirrors. The most recent idea suggests creating an army of tiny robots that could be launched into space and arranged together to produce a configurable umbrella that could be moved at any time. Whether any of these plans will ever come to fruition, however, remains to be seen.
And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. Folks, welcome back to Parachute Radio. My name is Justin, and I've been talking to Josh Kutchin about his book, A Trojan Feast. Uh, now, Josh, uh, we are getting close to the end of the show, so I did want to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, find the book, and uh, any extra information you want to add in there as well would be awesome. You can find me um, at joshuacutchin.com. So that's J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com. Um, I, uh, have, uh, have, I have a blog up there that I get around to posting at once a month. Okay. <laughs> for some reason, for some reason writing like short form is more difficult for me than writing long form. <laughs> um, but, uh, you can, so there are some blogs up there. It's been up for about Jeez, uh, a little bit under a year, I guess. Um, and the book is available for sale at uh, Amazon and at Barnes and Noble, uh, Kindle, paperback, and hardcover uh, as well. And then, if you want to listen to me ramble some more and act like you know what I'm talking about, um, I, I'm a regular on the Where Did the Road Go podcast. Okay. All right. Um, and is that just uh, Where Did the Road Go dot com, or do they advertise a or a Broadcast on a certain thing. No, yeah, it, it's where to the it's it's where to the com. Um, and there are there are live shows on Saturdays that you can listen to through the through the uh, it's actually actually uh, the Ithaca, one of the Ithaca College radio stations. That oh, okay. The show and there, there's there's a live link on that site to listen to, but uh, almost exclusively now I'm coming out on the midweek podcasts. Okay. Uh, myself, uh, Soraya Azkath, the host. Michael Hughes, who is an author out of Baltimore, and uh, Red Pill Junkie, if anyone's familiar with him out there. He's an internet super commentator. commentator oh. <laughs> All right, Josh. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, as soon as you get that new book out, definitely let us know, and we'll get you on again. Uh, like I said, definitely interesting stuff because nobody, as you said, covers these odd and, and weird things that people experience. They just... Uh, Attach themselves to like b- them being ad- abducted and and whatever for abductees and you know the Sasquatch people mostly the sightings. So it's definitely awesome to meet somebody who's trying to think outside the box and come from a different perspective on it. Um, well, I pre- I appreciate it, Justin. You guys are doing a doing a great thing here. This is a, I had a great time. All right. So uh, until. We talk again. Have a good night. And uh, can't wait to see the new book. <laughs> Thanks. Have a good night. All right, folks. That was Joshua Kitchen, author of A Trojan Feast, the food and drink offerings of aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch. Now, as I said throughout the interview, that's just something you don't really hear about uh, in any other books that people write or even I have never heard the experiences of these people where they've been offered food or drink in UFO abductee cases or even people that uh, see Sasquatch 
or or people that have claimed to have interaction with fairies. It's just something you don't hear anymore or hear at all. So definitely very interesting, very great guy, very great guest. Uh, I definitely encourage you guys to go find a Trojan feast at uh, your your local Barnes Noble or on Amazon, uh, as well as your e-readers. With that being said, uh, a Trojan feast, guys. Uh, <laughs> Nobody's ever really covered this before uh, that I've ever seen, so I definitely give Josh props for definitely uh, going above and beyond and looking into a part of the quote-unquote paranormal that uh, most people don't check into. Uh, so next week, uh, we got Richard Estep on. Uh, he wrote a new book called uh, The Most Haunted Hospitals. You did... Uh, hear Richard once before on Paratruth Radio, so I'm happy to welcome him back. Uh, and then the week after that, uh, we will be talking about, uh, or I'm sorry, we'll be talking to uh, Gary Wayne about the Genesis 6 conspiracy that he wrote. Uh, so a lot of great things coming up, guys, uh, right here on Paratruth Radio and Paratruth Radio Network. Uh, as I said last week, if you guys have an idea for a show uh, to, to be on the network, Definitely let us know. We would love to have somebody pitch us some new ideas and get some different people on on the network and and different shows, not just paranormal shows. Uh, we're we're interested in having uh, different ideas about about a lot of of topics. Um, if you have a, an idea for an episode uh, that or, or a topic that you want us to cover. Email us, paratruthradio at gmail.com. As well as, as I said last week, if you guys would want a, to co-host uh, a show with us and uh, on a topic that, uh, of course, of, of your choosing, let us know. Uh, we definitely would love to get uh, people on to hear different aspects of any topics that uh, that we cover. Uh, you know, we always can get the our authors that uh that we have come on and our guests but uh I would love to have people that aren't authors that that have ideas or or theories on these things so definitely get in, uh, in touch with with us uh paratruthradio@gmail.com or if you're on paratruthradio.com or ptrnetwork.com you can message us on those as well as well as you know the usual guys Facebook Twitter uh we we are on Instagram now we are on Google Plus and uh you guys always see the YouTube videos now as well as uh our our main streaming podcasting uh on Spreaker where you can leave comments which you can just leave in the comments that you would like to do those things as well uh and in the comments on YouTube so until next week, guys, uh, where Eric will be back. I, I'm going to strangle him if he's not. Um, but uh, until next week, where you will find us, same time, same channel. My name is Justin. See you later, guys. If you enjoyed this episode of Parachutes Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can listen to them on HD at our website, paratruthradio.com. And you can also find us at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, and YouTube. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter 
for brand new updates of our show every day. I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.